There it is. Okay. <laughs> for some reason, OBS decided to change my audio source for some reason. I don't know why, but suddenly there was no... There was no mic getting through at all. So, uh, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Sorry about that. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie podcast. I, of course, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me for these morning shows is your co-host, Spaz. As always, powered by caffeine. Oh, I've got some, I've got some nice cold coffee right here. I'm so excited about it. Oh, my God. It is 6 a.m. here in California because, my friends, we are welcoming back two guests. Uh, the first, uh, joining us from Savannah, Georgia, the director of In the Black, Jack Mamias. Right. You got it. That's yes. <laughs> yes. I kept practicing. I kept saying it in my mind. I wanted to do it right because names are really important to me. And so, you know, you want to say it right. That'd be great. <laughs> And from, I don't remember the name of the city. It's something I can't really pronounce, but the Netherlands, right? Yeah. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. Breda. Breda. You know what? We had another guest from Breda a little while back. I don't remember who now. I'm going to have to look that up. We had another guest from Breda a little while back. Um, I think fairly recently, actually. Um, so that's kind of awesome. Uh, but joining us from Breda in the Netherlands... They do it right. Was it close at least? Yes, yes. Oh, the great. Breda University of Applied Sciences. Woo! Uh, David Westman, the producer of In the Black, and y'all might also know him from the X Wing series, uh, but you also might know Jack Mamias from like Crisis and Mech Warrior Two. So we got some got some legends here, y'all. I mean, this and and welcome back. This is your second time here. We really appreciate you. Um, taking the time to come back and, and talk to us about in the black, which is now in beta. Last time we talked to you guys, it was a while ago and it was just an alpha. Um, that was a, at least a couple of years ago. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's been a while. Um, so folks, if you're unaware in the black is, <laughs> we were talking about it before the show, basically in the black is the exact opposite of star Wars squadrons. It's actually good. Uh, it's actually fun to play and it's, it's, it, it actually has depth and it's, it's, it, David, I don't know if you know this, but I, excuse my language, fucking hate squadrons. I hate I, it. I kind of picked up on that. I, I, so much. <laughs> I checked out your reviews and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Flames at the side of my face. Pretty graphic. Good sound. <laughs> Oh, it looks it's, delightful. It's pretty. It's awful pretty. <laughs> sounds, sounds great. Sounds Apparently, great. it's great in VR. That's what I hear. Apparently, in VR, it's like, wow. It looks good. It looks great in VR. Every space game is going to be great in VR. It's a natural. We, we, I, think, I think we had one podcast like a month ago where we just filleted it. We just tore it to shreds because we we've all been just... Dis- I mean, they're, they're fixing a few of the big things. Like, they're about to have private matches... And they're about to add B wings, so right there, that's something. But still, it doesn't fix the core problems of the of of the lack of gameplay modes and the shallowness of it all. And yeah, really, simulator. No, it's abandoned kind of stuff. It's it's interesting to speculate on what their design pillars were because if they were starting from X Wing versus Tie Fighter and this is a love letter to you know that kind of game, it's not a good one. Yeah, I well, and to be fair, I, I have no doubt that there were voices arguing for a much more mass market approach to things and EA and Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you. That's a good question. That's a good point. Yeah, it makes you wonder what tidal forces were pulling this in 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 its particular directions. Like who tried to pull it toward the more X Wing versus Tie Fighter level of depth, and who kept trying to pull it back toward the, you know, oh, we got to make this an esports thing. This is really a first person shooter with spaceships type type of thing. That's exactly what it is. It's like Call of Duty with spaceships. That's exactly what it is. And it feels like it from jump. And yeah, it's, it's sad. It's really not made for people like us who grew up with X-Wing, you know, or, uh, or do we want Ed to come in? He's, he's, he's there. He said the docking ring is locked. Oh, Spaz, can you get that? I don't see anyone in the docking ring. 
I don't either. Um, anyway, uh, so folks, we're here to talk about in the black. We're we're gonna try not to dump on squadrons the entire show, but uh, <laughs> since since it's the big target in the room right now, we probably will a little bit just to just to, just to give you a warning. But in the black is as we were saying, pretty much the complete opposite of. It's got multiple game modes that are very deep, full realistic space flight, which even threw me off at first. <laughs> if you watch the video, you'll see me fail one of the game's single player missions tragically, horribly, because I was trying to play it like a free space. Like there's that mission in Free Space 2 where you have to shoot the asteroids um, before they hit your uh, carrier. And that's how I was trying to play it in my brain. I was like, wait, why is everything so many kilometers? Oh, this is a realistic game. <laughs> right. I forgot about that part. So, um, so yeah, for, like, like, how would you guys describe In the Black? It's your game. I, I could talk forever, but how would you guys describe uh, In the Black? It, for me, it kind of comes back to what was going on in my head during the Star Wars days was just the thought that okay this is world war ii in space which is fun but it nonsense and so what would this look like if it's if it was real and so that is that our visions are a little different uh Mm -hmm. but that's where i come from on this project is i always wanted to to envision and experience space combat for real in our solar system with everything that you see in the game every ship every station it's all based on real world science and engineering. These things could actually be built. When I joined, I just wanted to be real as in a head retro rockets. <laughs> that's real. <laughs> that's all the real I wanted. And the, the pilot throws up. That's it. I say, that's real enough. <laughs> but then Dave came on and he's like, yeah, you guys are doing it all wrong. Let me show you. Let me show you how hard it can be to make a space game. <laughs> Well, and, and yeah, to be fair, uh, a gritty, realistic feel to things is is one thing, and you can still uh, wave your hands up about technology and have magical things going on as long as it's fun to play. And it was one of the things people would say to me when I suggested, hey, why don't we go for full realism? It's like ah, that's probably not possible. And even if you could pull it off, it wouldn't be fun. And I didn't. Well, I want a realistic. Gra- I want a realistic graphics. That's where. where yeah. Because I, I want the immersion. So for me, I definitely want the graphics to feel real. Whereas other space sims kind of feel like cartoons. Not not anyone that uh, you know. I mean, Star Citizen is gorgeous. I mean, that's that's a that's one that it's beautiful. It looks great in screenshots, right? I mean. <laughs> but well, yeah, and you look at the the ship designs in other titles, and they're, they're all airplanes. They're, they're all airplanes. airplanes. Yeah, not and, to be f- so, uh, certainly not elite. Elite, you're like a hexagon. Your first ship, you know. <laughs> Elite does a little better in that regard, to be fair. But Starsis and like several of the ships are basically like atmospheric fighters. Basically, well, they have atmospheres. That's that's fair, I guess. Yeah, you guys don't have to deal with with petty atmospheres in this game. It looks like. <laughs> well, and and the the Shrike right there at first look, especially when the sensor panels are de- deployed, it looks kind of like a fighter aircraft. But those aren't wings; they're sensor panels. Oh yeah, I don't think I've even deployed those. That's, that's the only. That's the oh, only yeah, one I've been uh, flying. Hit the C key and go to the external camera, and then hit the J key to watch the panels deploy. Oh, I'll do that next time I play. This is a pre-recorded video. Ah. Um, I was telling Jack we used to do we used to play the games live when we recorded these, but one we found that really distracting, and then two people who are just listening on the audio or wondering why is he going. Uh, <laughs> at random times <laughs> so, so, that makes sense so yeah we we decided to just have for the live show live viewings a video looping in the background so we could actually focus on each other talking um <clears throat> oh yeah apparently we had two side note we had two recent guests also from breda 
uh, the developer of Earth Analog and the developers of Interstellar Rift are all oh, in, yeah, yeah. in Breda, the, apparently. I think most of the Interstellar Rift <clears throat> team is uh, alumni from my university. What? Yes. Oh, you're 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 crapping me. You are you. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that is wow. Okay, that what a what a big world, and yet what a small world at the same. Indeed, <laughs> that's, that's that is really that actually kind of gladdens my heart to know that you know there's such a tight little community of gamers and developers right there. You know that makes me happy, and making good stuff like Interstellar Rift is great. Uh, Earth Analog is looking like it's coming along really nice. And then you got your guys' game. Uh, so, folks, right now, In the Black is running a uh, closed beta. Well, it's closed in the sense that anyone can get a key, apparently, <laughs> and, and join <laughs> join the beta. But uh, you can just go to... Uh, I'll link it in the show notes, but there's an Alienware site that if you log into, you can just get a Steam key for the beta. And uh, it has come quite a long way since that alpha we played so long ago. I have to admit, uh, it, it looks better. It feels better. It feels like a much more complete product now than it did then. Well, you um, didn't like our alpha? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> no, it was just it was an alpha. You know, it was just it's an alpha. You know? Well, no, I, that's that is fair, and I'm not saying yours wasn't, but you know, you, when you're playing an alpha, you expect not everything to be there and not everything to work, and it's kind of like you know, not everything to look great yet, you know, because it's like, oh, this is an alpha. We actually <clears> have <throat> an alpha that we don't have in beta, like VR, and submissions are missing. Right. Yeah. I, I that and I I did want to talk about that. So basically. Folks, if you're unaware, In the Black is um, it's a multi. It's primarily a multiplayer game. There are going to be there's going to be some single player stuff, but it's primarily a multiplayer game in which you play a our favorite thing, a space mercenary. We love space mercenaries. We and you know we it gives you so much freedom. You know, being a space mercenary to you know throw whatever at them. Hmm? I think it's critical because like if you're you know, a lot of the other games you're in the Space Navy, and it's not when you're in a Space Navy. There's other people taking care of stuff that you don't have to worry about, right? But when you're a mercenary, you got to kind of you got to kind of have a, be aware of everything that's going around around getting your ship flying because you're kind of you're a private agent, and I like that. I like that from a narrative standpoint, and because it gives you total freedom. Yeah, it gives you a lot more flexibility for the player. Um, I, I think that's why people remember maybe Privateer more fondly than the other Wing Commander games, for example. Um, I mean, I, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, be, uh, but uh, in, so in this game, you're a space mercenary and you earn uh, both credits and I think commendations through missions. And there. Of glory right now, so they don't really. They just give you a little bonus credits. They're not really <laughs> huge, a huge part of your progression, right? But now. they will be uh, in the final game, they're, right? There will be a much more. Yeah, you're gonna have to certify to certification points to use certain weapons and certain ships. Oh, I like be, that. Be into experience, but for us, for the beta, we really had to simplify it. And when you throw that other system in there it starts to get really hairy. So we're, you know, we're just looking at it from an economic standpoint. And we could even just ship it with the economic standpoint since we're calling it in the black and it's about the, the money they earn. It's not, then the experience could just be, they're mercs, so if they pay for it, they get it. But I think experience gives it another flavor that is important. It gives us, it gives you a way to structure the way the players are playing. Because you can encourage them to play certain ways to get better experience. Right. And, and I really, I really like that. I, I mean, it, it's, it's really is gatekeeping, but it's kind of an RPG style of gatekeeping that I think, that I think works really well because, you know, if you gain enough experience, you really want to get that rail gun, you know, there you go. You got, you can get certified for that, that really nice rail gun that you want, you know, cause if that, if that matches your play style, that's what you're going to go for. So mm-hmm. for 
for me as a player, that really works because it gives you a clear indication of, okay, I want this. This is what I have to do to get it. I like that. Awesome. Um, we have a couple questions in the chat. So, far. oh, wow. Are the physics Newtonian? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they are. To a fault. <laughs> I will. Yes. They so, are. Newtonian, so Newtonian, a lot of people don't like it because it's so Newtonian. But we're going to stick to our guns because you once you fly the ship enough, you you can actually use the Newtonian physics to make you a better pilot. Yeah. So we're not going to lose them. They're going to, they're going to stay in and we've put some things in there to make it more palatable to new players, like some flight assist and things like that, but they're components that can be damaged. So, you know, if you, if you lean on that too much, you might be in bad shape. You got to bring the ship in manually, manually because you're something, some components blown out or something. And, and you guys have individual component damage. So like my left thruster can get damaged, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll make docking really hairy. <laughs> True. I can only go right. Um, so, yeah, uh, based on what I've played, uh, I don't even know how to say your name. Is that LGNKM or IGN? I don't know. Um, yeah, based on what I've played so far, the physics are insanely Newtonian. And uh, you really have to keep that in mind or else you will do what I did in this mission that I recorded and fail miserably, uh, <laughs> horribly. Like, why is everything so far away? All right. <laughs> Takes you a couple times to do that mission. Once you do it good, though, it's easy. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, when we the game, yeah, yeah. Hey, guys. When uh, when we showed the game at uh, at PAX West and also at Gamescom. We had a demo and we had flight sticks set up uh, provided by Thrustmaster. And um, uh, a lot of players who were online to play were actually bigly dangerous Star Citizen fans. And it took them, I would say, about five minutes before they got the hang of flying. Uh, and obviously, the more you play, the better you get. But by and large, most people said that they really liked uh, the difference in play that, um, uh, in, in the sense that it felt more immersive because it was, you knew it was real. So it kind of put them in the environment and the gameplay a little bit more. And I don't know if you guys played a lot of Battlefield um, back in the day, but when helicopters were introduced to the game, those were really tricky to fly because they were modeled after realistic physics. But you know, the the awesome thing about helicopter gameplay was you really, like people became um, really proficient at it uh, and it became such an enjoyable part of the game, whether you were with someone who was a great pilot or you became a great pilot yourself. And it just becomes a much more rewarding um, experience because you have that that extra skill that's involved. But I definitely think that, um, you know, I'm all about immersiveness in games. And for me, the uh, Newtonian stuff, uh, number one, differentiates us from the other games, which I think is important um, because each of the different games has has something very different to offer, I think. Um, And I think that's great. But for us, I think also it just uh, it just really adds to the immersion. Um, and people who are who are really big fans of the genre who have the HOTA setups, they um, yeah they they seem to embrace it pretty quickly. Yeah, it took me um, I think three attempts to pass that um, the one mission where you're saving the uh, space station from all the debris. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it takes uh, you know that's the whole reason for that doing that mission to let people kind of experience what it's like to fly without having people shooting at you. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, as you probably saw, the big trick to that one is really match the speed of the debris you're trying to destroy. Yeah. Proper, that weapon, w- proper weapon use. Yeah. The, uh, that gimbaled laser thing is a godsend in that, in that, in that particular, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in that particular mission. So, uh, so we had a question in the chat, basically, is this more open world or is it like a shooter where you fight in small arenas? And it's, it is more mission based. It is more arena slash mission based than like, Although say, the arenas are about 80 kilometers across. So not really small. They're not really small, but they're more, they're contained, you know, they're, they're self-contained. They're not uh, like, it's not like jump gate or star system where you have this big like world, you know, but that's zero exploration. And ninety-eight percent combat, <laughs> which is fine. Which is fine. There are other games for exploration. Yeah, you no know, mining. there there are no other mining. games for mining. You know, I mean, 
pick what you're good at. You know, like Rebel Galaxy Outlaw had like so, those things a bit, but no one did them. I don't think anyone did them. It was all combat all the time. <laughs> yeah. that, 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 we just cut out the middleman, right? We just get right to the killing. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole idea for this, uh, you know, my background is is really focused on working in multiplayer games. Um, and I think I think a session based uh, combat game like this is uh, it, it basically hasn't been in the genre at all. Um, and so if you think about like a Rocket League or World of Tanks game, we haven't had that in the space uh, in the space Sims genre. And I felt like there was definitely a hole. Uh, there definitely is a hole. Yeah, there definitely is a hole. Some folks have tried, but the problem with their attempts is that they made it purely multiplayer, like no bots, no practice modes with bots or anything like that. It was just find a game and jump in and no one no one cared. <laughs> right. We tried it without bots. It did not work. <laughs> <laughs> or they made it a mobot. Yeah, bots yeah. is one of those things that, you know, uh, players will often, like, really scream for uh, in a multiplayer match. And even in the Battlefield series, I remember when bots were added, people loved it. Because some people, just they love the multiplayer uh, kind of um, game modes, but they're not, they're not really into going uh, into live servers with other live people. Uh, they really yeah. wouldn't uh, enjoy the multiplayer game modes, but with bots, which is totally understandable. You know, so yeah. multiplayer is not for everybody. So, but, but bots... So bots added that for this game, and we're going to take that a lot further, obviously. We just really implemented it several months ago. Uh, but the other big thing bots do is they help you practice. Um, so for us, a lot of the onboarding and the single-player stuff in development is really, uh, you know, the intention there is to really help people uh, get acclimated to playing in the game and get more comfortable with the ship and the physics, uh, the weapon systems. Um, so it's really practice for for live matches, which is where we really would love to see multiple practice. <laughs> But I appreciate that you're going to have bots because, um, like, I'll, I'll use another game as an example. The latest um, Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare game, Battle for Neighborville. Uh, it's a wonderful game, but their custom matches didn't have bots until recently yeah. for some reason. I don't know why. And so a lot of people are like, we need bots. But they finally added it, and it's just a thousand times better because of it. Yeah, you know, you know, bots is one of those things that it's. Uh, we were very fortunate to work with a company called Mercuna. Mercuna, uh, because typically when you add bots to a game, it requires a lot of like. It usually requires a special developer on your focus. The AI. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's not something you just kind of turn a switch on. It's just there. It's not. It's not as straightforward as you think it might be. Huh. There's so many different variables in in a game. Uh, how the bots? Because the bots actually have to know how to play your game, right? Yeah, um, and in, in a game like ours, in open space, it's even a bigger challenge because and typically uh, when you you have this uh, this term called pathfinding, which is basically like where where uh, bots how it basically instructs bots on how they can move in a game space, and typically in a first person shooter, bots are walking around on terrain, right? And there might be an obstacle in front of them, and they gotta avoid uh, avoid it by moving around it. Um, so, but when you go to space, it's a whole nother layer because there really uh, there is no terrain. Uh, you're totally in open space, so the pathfinding is a little more tricky. A little, a little more tricky. Relating it to actually a nice um, coincidence is that the Mercuna team I just mentioned, who provided the pathfinding for uh, in the black, and highly recommend them to other teams that need pathfinding. They originally are from the Star Citizen team. So they worked on the pathfinding for Star Citizen and then uh, decided to kind of go out on their own and make this middleware available to all developers. Oh, so wow. A fantastic team. Um, and they really enabled uh, a small team like ours to be able to integrate bots and AI. Um, wow. So it's kind of a cottage, in it's kind of a cottage industry. That, yeah, that I mean, there's so many special things. You know, the, the challenge about making a game in general is that the, um, the barrier to... The, even though the barrier to entry to making the, a game has become so much more, so much lower in the past several years, you know, largely because of engines like Unity and Unreal, mm -hmm. um, and you don't have these crazy license structures anymore. So the barrier to entry is very low. Um, but to make something really good and unique is is really challenging. So, from in my experience, I think the key is 
have your team focused on, you know, what they're really good at. So obviously you're talking right now to Jack, Jack Lemias from Crisis, and Dave Westman from X-Wing. So these guys are really good about making, uh, making games of this, of this type, um, hardcore, um, hardcore shooters. The, um, but to have, to have our team focus on making a special music system or a bot system, it really takes away from the core, you know, core, what makes this game special. So in my experience, games development teams should always try to find the tools or middleware um, that, uh, that they don't need to focus so much time on themselves that let them really focus on the core unique selling point. So with bots, that's, you know, uh, there's no way a team of our size would be able to add bots like this, if not for someone like Kuno. Wow. So is there more and more of a market for this kind of middleware? Like, oh, if I need a oh, certain yeah. tree, someone's made that tree. If I need a certain... Oh, yeah, totally. It's actually, it's funny you say trees. There's a, uh, there's a, a middleware called SpeedTree. And SpeedTree basically, there's others too, but it basically allows you to add trees of all these different varieties relatively instantly. <laughs> so for first-person shooters, that's huge. That saves a lot of time. There's other stuff that makes rocks and uh, different types of terrain. Um, you know, buildings. There's, uh, I mentioned music a minute ago. There's a great music middleware called Wise, which lets you really have dynamic music in the game. So the, the music can change based on what's happening in play, even in multiplayer. Um, so those are, those are systems, though, that it, to be able to replicate that on your own would really require full time developers just focus on that area. So it just doesn't make sense when you can license this type of middleware relatively inexpensively um, and have great support and updates and not, you don't have to worry about it. There is a little bit of a challenge. It's not like just turn the key on and it works. You always have to integrate these systems. So it takes a little work. And then anytime the engine you're using, whether it's Unreal or Unity, whenever they update their engine, that means mm. you have to update uh, the middleware to support the new engine. So that's a little bit of a headache. But well, I think well worth it. And it allowed, allows small teams to be able to do big Oh, that, I, I've, I feel like my mind has been blown. Like I had no idea there was that kind of middleware area but that explains so much and it sounds great for developers who like i'm good at making physics but not music or you right. know i'm i'm good at making cockpits but not physics you know oh, totally. that's that's yeah, amazing the, the engines uh whether it's unity or or uh, or unreal which we're using they both have these great marketplaces where you can actually go there and find all these different things that other people have made and you could just uh, you can license them very cheaply and put them in your game, whether it's characters, a sci-fi environment, uh, you know, a, uh, buildings uh, that have this certain aesthetic or from a different era. Um, so all these things you can purchase. And that, that's why you see so many games right now, um, because the, you could just basically buy these assets, put them in a game and put your own unique spin on them. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you'll, and if once you get, once you wreck some of these assets, it's funny. You'll, uh, if you're checking a game, you're like, oh my God, I totally recognize that, that character or that building in a different game. And oftentimes, some people spend time customizing them a bit, but some people just put them in as is. So you'll, you'll recognize them. I'll admit, I have probably seen the same space station in three different games. And yeah. so uh, I, I figured there was an asset pack <laughs> for, for, uh, yeah. for space stations. <laughs> uh, but it makes sense. It makes sense. It's, it's kind of amazing that people can probably make a living doing that, not even making oh, games, making things for people who make the games. They do. They do. I mean, one of the companies I, I handle biz dev for is, is uh, an anti-cheat system called Fair Fight. And Fair Fight basically uh, is, is used by DICE and ID and Ubisoft, and it's a really top-notch anti-cheat. But the value of it is that then the teams that work with us don't really need to worry about anti-cheat uh, and hack anti-hacking stuff. They can focus on what makes the game special, so that's that's um, it's super valuable. That 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 must explain why we're in such an amazing era of gaming right now, because it allows developers and designers to focus on what they're really good at, and then bring in these other things that let them flesh out their game, make it what how they want. Oh wow, my yes. mind. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a new it's a new new uh, a new day for game development. And if you just look on Steam, uh, there are just so many releases happening. And a lot of them are good. There too, because the barrier is so low now that there is uh, there's a lot of junk, uh, obviously being made as well. Mm -hmm. So that's why discoverability and, and actually specifically what you do, uh, you know, on your podcast, Brian, is super important because it really helps uh, 
helps gamers you know discover what what they should be playing you know because you're you're basically helping them guide them to some of the content there and weeding through all the yeah i mean that's that's why i think steam is putting so much stock in curators because rather than them trying to work on an algorithm to help with discovery, they're just giving people like me <laughs> yeah, a soapbox to make our own little lists and things for people to help to help people find things. And I mean, I've it, been, I've been, we're, we're just starting to like uh, get into uh, being able to, with the closed beta for in the black, we're just starting to really to start to engage really um, more closely with a, uh, a larger audience of, of this space genre. So, I have uh, been really impressed by the number of streamers uh, that are into this. You're, there's yourself, obviously, but there's there's this ton of great streams on Twitch uh, and also YouTube. Um, you know that uh, it's it's great to watch. You know, it's really fun. Um, the uh, yeah, the the genre specifically seems to be getting really nice, uh, really nice bump in in awareness, exposure, and some of that's. Through these streamers, and some of that's due to you know people like EA in, investing in the genre again, which is awesome. Yeah, I tell people like the fans never left the genre; the genre left the fans for a while. Yeah. <laughs> totally true. That's I mean, what happened after I used to work with THQ, and when uh, THQ closed down the studio I was at, which was a studio called Chaos out of New York City, um, one of the things I wanted to do right away was uh, was a space um, a space multiplayer game because they really I, I couldn't find one game uh literally not one game on xbox playstation or pc in the space uh space um space sim genre and uh yeah that's that's how this originally got started because there was literally nothing we've been fortunate that kind of what we what we kind of decided to embrace uh uh was able to just you know uh, be different from the other gate space games that started to uh come out after we started working on ours so um it was still a nice difference between the other stuff but I, literally at the time there's zero game yeah yeah i it, do there want to point out though there 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 was a big market shift in 2000 away from all kinds of simulator games yeah yeah because that was the year uh x-wing alliance shipped uh microsoft's allegiance came out soon after mm -hmm. and sales kind of flatlined and then just dropped off a cliff Mm -hmm. and yeah. big publishers see that and they're like yeah okay well that that genre just died um i don't think it died i just think people shifted away for it, from it for a while but the longer it was absent like edmar was noting there is a pent-up demand and it just got bigger and bigger and every time i've met somebody and as soon as they find out that i worked on those games they're like so when are you going to make another one <laughs> like, yeah what, what i found at activision is we were making mech we were making mech games and they were doing good until about 2000 and then they kept making about the same money but like all of a sudden people were introducing console games like tony hawk and tony hawk was selling like 20 million copies so the money people all said yeah we're going to jump on that that gravy train because that's so much and you and you see that in activision now they had they sell big numbers of copies right like call of duty is call of duty is uh tony hawk killed mech games in a way consoles i would say the consoles got really good and they definitely hurt they definitely hurt pc gaming absolutely a lot of people a lot of people moved to halo from shooters like counter-strike and doom they moved to halo and they since you needed a keyboard really to play a lot of these old simulators you didn't have that on a console so they kind of weren't ready for consoles that's why you don't yeah. see them on console yeah i mean i love the playstation 2 don't get me wrong uh it's a wonderful console with a lot of wonderful games on it even some great space games um but i do Wars is a good game yeah and and the Battlestar galactica game from like 2003 is amazing I like, think my brother worked on that. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I, I almost worked on that. Yeah, I think John worked on that. It's Warthog, the same folks who did Star Lancer. Um, so they crammed every control they could onto a damn PS2 gamepad. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Still, it's lacking. It's lacking, right? Because like 
you can't like turn the lights on and lower the gear and do stuff like that. No, you really want to screw with when you're playing a simulator. Right. But for what they did on a console, it's, it's really astounding, but yeah, I do kind of blame it for the shift away from like more PC centric genres, you know, at the time, I think it killed a lot of things for a while. Um, So it's, it's more fair. I think to say that the, Console market caused the shareholders to kill off. Yeah, they they're going to go where the money is, right? Where the big money is. So the big yeah. money was in, right? Like at that time, the big money was like Tony Hawk was a huge, massive hit for Activision, like huge, right? Like they've never seen numbers that when that game came out, and Spider Man Two came out, and that was a huge hit for them on console. So they totally got out of the PC business. And just move everything into console, like all the all the investing, right? They just totally bailed on PC. And I noticed it because I I would go, I would go shopping for games, and it got to where GameStops had no PC games, and then <laughs> Best Buy had no PC games. I remember. Like, Wait, there's no PC games to look at, so you had to get everything from Steam. Yeah, because it's oh, like you couldn't buy it anywhere. There was maybe one uh shelf end that had a selection of pc games on it yeah world of warcraft that was it. I, I worked at a b i worked at an eb between 2003 and 2004 and when i started there the pc section was like a small corner in the back and as my year there went on it just kept shrinking until it was just that little back wall and that was it <laughs> Yeah, and, then, well, and, and part of that was piracy, right? When consoles came out, they were a lot harder to pirate. That's true. And that's PC true. games, it was just understood that <laughs> for every copy you sold, ten people pirated it. Yeah, but you make a lot of money still. Like when you know when Doom Doom came Doom Two came out and Half Life came out, those those made those made a ton of money. Yeah, right. Those made a ton of money. We put Far Cry out two thousand and three, and that. That sold like three million copies and was pirated by like eight million people, but it still sold three million copies, which is a ton of money. Someone in the Twitch chat just said, I remember when the local staples had more PC games than GameStop. I I also remember that very well. Yeah, I remember the days when when my local GameStop had one end cap of PC games and everything else was console. Well, yeah. truly, though, Steam was is a better way to get games. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, entirely fair. I'd entirely. rather have this because I threw away all my boxes anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I have like three boxed PC games: uh, Starflight oh, One I and have... Two, and Starfleet Two, and that's pretty much it. Maybe I think one of the rules of engagement games. I think that's it. <laughs> I'm sitting on a small fortune in big box. Yeah old PC games. Oh my God. <laughs> you and Derek smart, man. He just posted a picture of his collection recently. It's like, it's like walking into a nineties EB is basically, yeah. <laughs> is basically his collection. Like he's got all those weird idos, like triangle boxes. Real, and yeah. <laughs> crap. And like all the, and those weird, like, like Nova logic games where that would bulge out in the middle with a Comanche or whatever, you know, like all yeah. those weird ass boxes. That's really <laughs> cool. I, I, I had a lot of those too, but I had to toss them out because I moved to Germany. So I just kept the discs and the code. Yeah. To run them. Right? Yeah. I just I kept it. I have like these big books that hold CDs that hold like 300 CDs in there. And I've got them filled with games, you know, with PC games. Yeah. That's where I am. I have all the manuals and the discs, but very few actual boxes Um, because they take up so much space. But yeah, I mean, say what you want about Steam for all its problems. It really has revitalized. It really has almost on its own revitalized PC gaming, I think. I'll go on the record and say I have no problem with Steam. I like Steam and always have. Doesn't mean I don't use Epics and, and Origin and all that. But for me, Steam is definitely where most of my games live now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Digital distribution, crowdfunding, and basically free game engines has been the big game changer because now anybody with a vision and some talent and drive can make the game they want to make and find an audience for it. Yeah. Like I I keep, I keep telling people we're in a second golden age of of video gaming because it just, 
not only the variety of things coming out, but the quality as well. There's so many good things. There's a lot of garbage. Yeah, of course there's a lot of garbage, but there's also a lot of really good stuff coming out. Sturgeon's Law applies. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I submit the 90s was the original uh, golden age, especially on PC. Holy crap. <laughs> Definitely. I remember, I remember like hanging out in my basement, turning out the lights and playing Wing Commander. Those are some of my, <laughs> my greatest memories. Man, I remember Doom. We 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 networked Doom for the first time. Used DM Edit. That was a player mod to play multiplayer Doom. And oh my I God. swear to God, my hair turned white when I played that. I like, <laughs> wow, oh my God, what is this? I'm shooting somebody right now. Holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> Doom was responsible for significant delays in Tie Fighters development. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, this descent was a big one for us. Yeah, that one too. Oh man, yeah. Oh my god. So I mean, it's great getting back to in the black that you guys are trying to capture that, recapture that magic with this with this game. Like recapture the philosophy where you like we're taking the guts out of that stuff, but we're really this is a modern game, right? Right. right. Got all the modern things that we would have put in there back in the day when it was impossible. (laughs) <laughs> when you're running on a DX33, you know. Now, now we're now we're pushing i7s are smoking hot in the, with this game. <laughs> but Jack and I, we share the core philosophy on game design. It's all about player skill and intrinsic reward. If if what you're doing in the game is fun, and the better you get at it, the more fun it is. The more you want to play, creates a nice virtuous circle. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you should always have something to do also. There should always be a quest, right? Like in this, it's like, can I unlock all the ships and all the weapons? But that's also going to be the, that's also going to be the camp, the, the career, right? That's going to be like your main thing is your career where you're doing these missions for your company to gain more, gain more money. And not only that, but more licenses for better equipment and things like that. Cause we, we put that out at alpha, but it wasn't well received by people because it was so, you really got to fuel that with a lot of uh, different content and the mission, the multiplayer missions, you would just go into a multiplayer mission and you would like die instantly and you would lose all your gear and people did not like that. So here you can play and there's, you know, this is our, this is called Bloodsport. It's, it's our version of uh, esports of the future where mm-hmm. you're actually, you're actually in a simulator and there's an Android in the space, in this version. So that's why you can respawn and you can do all that stuff. So, I mean, that's like just narrative behind the scenes because for all private persons, it's a person in here, but the PMC, you'll be a person and the pilot It'll be really worth it to you to get the pilot out alive rather than just die. It'll be really worth it because you'll want to save that experience that he has, even if you're losing the ship. And that that kind of permadeath, that to me, when you see that in other games like Scum or even Player No Battlegrounds, it makes death a real scary thing. Yeah. When you're losing stuff like that. And it it's it makes it it makes the game more exciting. Like in this, you don't lose. I mean, this is like you don't lose anything. You can go in and you can make money really easy, and the sh- you know you can use any ships and everything. But you don't really. It's like more or less you're like renting this stuff in a way in this game mode, right? Whereas PMC, you have to own it. And if you go if you go in the red, which is, means you have zero net worth, it's game over. <laughs> you got to stay in the black. See, I I love that. I, I love that though because it 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 really puts onto the player the balance of risk versus reward. You know, like it, it, it opens up a lot of interesting uh, scenario design possibilities in terms of what kind of objectives and and how you how you frame the cost of things. Right. So if if some corporation is hiring your outfit to execute some operation. Um, how much are they willing to pay to cover damage and loss and expended propellant and ammunition? And how much do you, you know, of, of that do you cover yourself with insurance policies? Um, mm-hmm. So, cause we don't want players to get 
completely smashed down and feel like they just lost everything and it's, I do. it's hopeless. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I think, the, people, the people on the top, I mean, we're going to display the net worth of players. Yeah. And the, the, the top net worth gets the top spot on our leaderboard, right? So we want people to be like vicious. By the time they're good <laughs> enough to have that money and be the top pilot, you're going to see games that go on for a long time because the more you play this, the more you stay alive and the more you learn how to stay alive. And that is a big difference in this and other space games because most space games are, are everything is balanced, but this can be wildly unbalanced. Ooh. So you can have certain, certain, certain ships, if they're built in a certain way, they will be really deadly and I'm sure we'll have to balance it. But the way we're doing it now, it's like the more effective the ship is, the more it costs to put it in the field. So, you know, if you want to come in and you want to spam missiles, you're going to lose money at the end of the match. And you might get a lot of kills, but you're going to bring no money home because each missile costs X credits, right? Or each flechette costs X credits and repairs cost this much. So the money is supposed to balance the game. At least that's, that's what we have. That's the theory. No, that sounds great. We'll see. Because it makes it more strategic. It, it makes it a lot more... You're not just shooting everything you have. You have to really, you know, pick your targets and pick your ammo and and, and really try and keep, like... Because I, I was telling um, Jack before we started, I really hate that this game has propellant because I keep running out of it. <laughs> It's like, God damn it. And if I'm, if I'm going to have to keep paying, if I'm going to have to keep paying to refuel my propellant every time. I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to be a lot more careful <laughs> about how I use this. Well, and, and it was sort of a conscious design choice of ours to give you the shittiest spacecraft at the start. <laughs> the, the, the Shrike is like a TIE fighter. It's got, but worse, because it's got very short range, doesn't have huge propellant tanks. Um, and it's it's to t- teach you some hard lessons. So then, yeah, you think, okay, do I really need to go full thrust all the time? No, I don't. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a a lot of subtleties to the to the physics and the flight dynamics that once you start to understand them, then it really does become second nature, and then you can start to exploit them in your favor. Uh, it's it's a really fun learning experience under when, as you get the feel of the ships. And our dream is to actually have people in a way, think of the way they think of their characters in league of legends, where they have this ship completely made in a certain way to form a certain role. Like it only does that thing, but it does that thing so perfectly that mm. if you, you, you team that with something that's, you know, it's all rail guns or something. And you have another ship that's an all defense ship. Being as a team, you can be stronger than the sum of your parts. Yeah. Right. So, and that that we're not we're seeing the beginnings of that because it's mostly us. The all the devs are playing the game mostly, and we're all pretty good players, so it goes pretty fast. But as we're seeing the audience grow with our closed beta, I'm definitely seeing teamwork start to emerge, and that makes me happy. Nice. Yeah, it's and that's it's, where your meta is created. Yeah. yeah, that's the meta is like who's like build mid max your ship to have the perfect missile boat, right? But then you're totally vulnerable to lasers. <laughs> but then you have a guy who's like he's dealing with the laser shooters, right? He's like got a rail gun and he's killing laser shooters. So if that could play off each other, that is unlimited gameplay because it'll be people trying designs of ships against other designs. And in the game, you're going to have different corporations. And am I am I remembering right that you can join, like your you and your friends can join a specific corporation and co-op up? Is that right how now? They're, right now, they're sort of floating in the background, and they mm. they they you know the corporation from who's paying you to play uh, on one side or the other. Right now, it's North Star and Leith. Those are two. One's a corporation. One's more like a private military company, um, sort of. And though they're they're like paying for you to 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 be on one side or the other, and they make certain of they make some of the ships and stuff like that. So you know, I, I'm going, I'm buying this corporation's ship, so I know it's going to be a certain type of ship. And if I buy, you know, this other corporation ship, it's going to be have a lot more armor and be, you know, a heavier, more util, 
totalitarian ship other than these small, tiny fighters. So right now, we don't have like a long-range corporation uh, desire or corporation connection with the player where it's on the drawing table to like, if you play every match for North Star, they'll give you a bonus on their equipment, but we don't really have that in the game yet. Right, but, but that is going to be there. That that so can so can you partner up with players who are in different corporations, or is it based on the mission that you partner up with other players? Right now, everybody's going into the same matchmaking, so mm. it's all it's all single player. Unless you happen to know the people that you you get, unless you create a game. The idea is eventually, uh, you know, the players are uh, in the game world. They're mercenary, right? So they uh, they go to the game uh, home screen. And that's kind of like their hiring portal, and they could see which which companies are looking for help uh, on which missions. And like Jack was just saying, over time, uh, the idea is that that will give different reputation to different mercenary pilots. Like they're very allegiant to this company, or more allegiant to this company, or some people will just be like, go wherever the money goes. So there might be certain perks to the uh, one way or the other. Um, yeah, but right now the closed beta is pretty limited in content because right now right. the most important thing for us is uh, is getting feedback on the core gameplay loop in a match, um, and the uh, and the controls and all that kind of stuff. But I think that the narrative, like I've always wanted to work on a multiplayer game that had a a narrative to it in a meaningful way. So f- I think long term, being able to have the game like the patches uh and the game updates revolve around how things are happening in the game like if one company has been had a lot more match victories versus another company then that might change um the balance of power in the game uh by producing things um for that company or the other so i think that um you know that's uh that's definitely the long-term goal that kind of meta gameplay gets me excited honestly we have no shortage of ideas we have no shortage of ideas (laughs) You have to physically realize them through programming and art sweat, right? Right, of course. But <laughs> but the idea of joint of of working for specific corporations and maybe getting bonuses from them, or, or and whatnot, that's the careers would really entices me personally. Yeah, I mean it's funny. I I met with uh, Amazon uh, before the pandemic, uh, and you know obviously they own Twitch, uh, and they were investigating like how to align themselves with more games on the on the Twitch platform that they can be somehow more directly involved with, right? Because even though they own Twitch, everything people are watching on Twitch is not owned by Amazon or by other people. So we talked to them about maybe getting involved in the black. Um, and uh, one of the things they mentioned in that conversation, which I thought was fascinating, is they told me that they had done a lot of research about which game genres had had the best you know player retention, what what people were playing the longest. And one of the guys, which originally from uh, from Disney before he went to Amazon, and he was in the meeting, and uh, he had almost uh, he tried to greenlight an um, an X wing project over there that did not see the light of day. But he said so he was very familiar with this space genre, and he had done the research for Amazon about this um, uh, what genres had the highest retention. And he said, uh, which was a surprise to me, that the space genre had a super high retention rate, one of the best. Uh, and specifically, he called out Eve Online, and I think part mm. of that is really what you're talking about, Brian, which is like that whole um, meta game that's in there. And you know, yeah. ideally, like like Eve Online does, it's something that the player, the, the community, kind of takes their reins on. Yeah, it took me a year to build a ship at the, in that game, right? You know, if you want a certain ship, like it's gonna take a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's almost a second job, and some people a lot uh, clearly a lot of people love that. Clearly, a lot of people get really really invested in that. That's exactly um, when I stop playing games. When I'm playing something, <laughs> if I'm playing something and it feels like I'm going to work, like Eve Online did that to me. I was like, oh, okay, I got don the old the mining helmet, and go back to mining, slumming. I'm like, why am I doing this? Or I, The Sims was the same way. I felt like I'd log into The Sims. Or any MMORPG where, any, you know, it, it's just ongoing. And I swear to God, it feels like going to work, man. And then I'm like, I am out of here. <laughs> I, do, I cannot do this. <laughs> yeah, EVE Online is particularly bad at that. I mean, a lot of people love it. And I have played it. And it, I, it does a lot right. It does a lot right. But yeah, um, people playing that game for over 10 years. Yeah, there, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who have been playing it since Jump. 2003? 
it came out. So, but yeah, I'm not surprised about the space game retention. Look how many people are still playing Free Space 2. Look how many people are still playing. You go on Game Ranger, people are still playing X-Wing versus TIE Fighter today. Oh. You know, it's... Elite it, it, has a lot of players, too. Yeah. We're, we're a relatively small niche, but we're a devoted niche. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Like, I'm, I'm helping... Yeah, I'm helping a developer bring a new version of his game to Steam, and I keep telling him, like, most of the people who are going to be wishlisting this thing are actually going to buy it because these people are dedicated buyers to to, to this genre. <laughs> That's what I've noticed about this genre, is people are much more likely to actually spend money on a game than just wishlist it and, like, have it sit on their wishlist for eight years. Like, they're much more likely to actually buy a damn thing. <laughs> right. Well, guys, I have to go just because I have a meeting. Uh, with yeah, I got We we got to start wrapping up too. Yeah, we try to keep these to about an hour. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Well, Both thank you, thank you, man. So, folks, again, the game is in the black. Um, Jack just put a link in the Twitch chat to uh, where to get a closed beta key, but there'll there'll also be links. Um, on the show notes of the MP3 version in a couple of days, but there should also be links in like YouTube and stuff and Facebook where these are being broadcast. Twitch, you don't really can't put links in descriptions, but on the other services, there's a link. Um, and you can just sign into Alienware and get a key and, and give it a shot. Even if there's no one on right now, like you can still play with bots. Like I played a couple of the different game modes with bots and had a great time. I, I sucked. But I had a great time. <laughs> it's, better. Yeah, I, better. this this is definitely a game that is skill based, which is exciting because it, it like when you play something that's truly skill based, uh, and you start getting good at it. There's no fine. There's rarely a finer feeling in the world than really feeling like you're um, really conquering this this amazing thing. Mastery and, of the game is gameplay yes literally. yes which as which as it should be which which is totally as it should be uh so i guess final question when do you see this uh you're doing a beta right now are you going to do any more beta periods before full-on launch or do you do you have any kind of idea when full-on launch might happen so, so the plan right now is to act so right now we're in closed beta so you have to request the key and everything Mm-hmm. Uh, once we uh, roll out a couple more patches, we want to add leaderboards and some other really cool stuff to add some more ways for people to kind of um, get more social and compete with each other in the game. Uh, we're going to be uh, working on dedicated servers as well. Um, uh, so anyway, so we want to kind of add, throw a lot more stuff in the closed beta to get feedback. And then once we have enough feedback, the plan is to uh, close out the closed beta and then open, uh, do an open beta uh, that will uh, basically set the stage for us going to early access um and early access will probably be something like 1999 or something like that people can jump in the game while we're uh while we're in development and more full featured uh and then um as far as time goes early access would ideally be uh sometime in between january and march 2020 so that's a great price too that's a great that's a great price to jump in yeah, yeah I mean, eventually it will be free. It'll be free for everybody. So the, right now it's being designed as a free-to-play game. So that price is just for people to get in early and give us feedback. They'll get some nice perks uh, that'll last, uh, you know, when the game launches free-to-play title. So we'll make it worth their time. But we really want as much feedback from space uh, space sim players as possible. That's um, that's kind of... We've been developing uh, to get the core... We've been basically in development getting the core features working, and now we need people's feedback so we can find it. And, yeah, we're excited. People like you playing the game is super exciting. Yeah, and folks, I have played a bit of the closed beta, and it is fun. It is tough. It is tough because it's full, again, full physics to a fault. Uh, but it is fun. So, um, Edmar, Jack, and David, thank you so much thank you. for taking thank time you, out, out of your day to uh, talk to us about In the Black. Again, guys, don't forget to get a closed beta key. And give us a try. Give it a try while you can. Um, we're so we're switching the things up today. So this afternoon, I'll be playing some Starfleet Two uh, on the stream, and then I'm trying to line up next week's guest. It hasn't been confirmed yet, um, but hopefully we'll uh, have a guest for next week. 
Um, so again, gentlemen, thank you so much for, for joining us and everyone. Thank you for hanging out and being in the chat, asking questions. Uh, you guys are the best and we love you. Uh, have a great day, everyone. Be safe. Be well. Take care of each other. Uh, bye bye.